Welcome to The Network Effects, a show about how innovators have turned their ideas into movements. Hosted by Zan Bennett and Daniel Avnieli. Hey everyone, welcome to The Network Effects. Today's guest is the founder of Cardinal Solutions, an IT digital innovation firm that specializes in design and building custom cloud, data, mobile, and web solutions for Fortune 1000 companies. Please welcome Kelly Conway. Kelly, thank you for being with us today. How are you holding up amidst the uh, quarantine? I'm trying to stay positive. Um, it's better, definitely better to be quarantined in Boulder, Colorado than Cincinnati, Ohio. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's been kind of like everybody, I guess you go through different phases of being uh, sort of lonely. And then like last yesterday, we were walking down Pearl Street, my wife and I, and it was just eerie that like there's just no one around. Absolutely. It's, it's been a shift in how all of us interact with pretty much everything around us. Yep. Yep. Hopefully, you know, a couple of three or four weeks and we'll, we'll see a lot of trend in the positive rather than the negative. Yeah, let's hope Absolutely. so. Absolutely. I wanted to start off by uh, asking you to take a minute or two and, and just introduce yourself to our listeners. Um, talk a little bit about your experience and, um, and maybe Cardinal Solutions and the company that you worked for for a couple decades. Okay. Uh, all right. So I grew up. In Cincinnati, Ohio, I uh, went to the University of Cincinnati, and my major was mathematics and computer science in undergrad uh, for some crazy reasons. When I was finishing up my undergrad, I I talked to one of my professors, and I was really enjoying my my computer science classes, and he he told me, you know, if you want to try to get a fellowship and go and get your, you know, your PhD in computer science, Back then, computer science was really ramping up. I mean, they were, universities were trying like crazy to build up their programs. So I got a lot of uh, opportunity um, to do that, and I ended up selecting uh, Penn State University. And then I, as soon as I got there, I think I was in the program for four weeks, and I was like, nah, I'm going to just get my master's degree and get out of here, uh, which was a wise, very wise decision. And then uh, my first job out of Penn State was uh, as a software engineer and a division of GE, GE Aerospace, and a satellite, writing satellite command and control software, very top secret stuff, and a really complicated um, coding um, on a very, very big program. I think there might have been almost 2,000 software developers working on that. So, and, and I got tired of that after a few years of being, you know, buck, you know behind locked doors and um, the defense contract kind of industry. So then I got a more commercial job working for Digital Equipment Corporation as like a um, like a sales engineer, like a product engineer for their sales office in Philadelphia. So I would be, um, the, their salespeople would um, take me on meetings with customers to demo products, to write proposals, to um, try to explain to customers the different trade-offs between different products. And I did that for a couple of years. And I met a guy, my manager, who was uh, at Digital Equipment Corporation at the time. He was maybe 17 years older than me, and he had been around the IT world for a while. And he had been talking. So we started talking, and he wanted to start a um, – there were a lot of companies that were using the digital equipment platform in life sciences and chemical, engi- chemical and process manufacturing, and not a lot of people that were writing um, – 
or developing solutions very well on that platform. So we quit Digital Equipment Corporation one day and then started this company in Philadelphia called Integrated Systems, which was basically a software solutions company. And then I um, became a salesperson that basically that day. I mean, I I remember, uh, I think I talked to, to you about it, Zan, and, and, uh, and you know, some other students at Boulder's kind of, kind of just kind of thrown into the fire of not only going right in and being a pure salesman, but being a pure, the only salesperson for a startup company where you've uh, mortgaged your house, you've bet all the meager savings that you have, and uh, you know, you, you, and you put it all on the line to, to start this business and the getting to the sales pipeline and getting new clients is all up to you. So I did that. Um, we were, we had a, a very successful run in Philadelphia. I think when I started to think about leaving was, uh, maybe we were like six years old and we had about $20 million in revenue. And I luckily, I sold my equity to a private equity company. So I sort of cashed out a little bit and then, uh, moved my family to Cincinnati, my very young family to Cincinnati, Ohio in the 1996 started a similar type business called Cardinal Solutions. And again, same kind of thing. We were lucky enough or whatever, or risky enough or whatever. We, it was a self-funded thing. I had another partner. Mike York was in the business with me. We, we, uh, um, through, um, some initial capital into that business, you know, some savings into that business. We, uh, I remember my, our, you know, putting our house, uh, signing our, our house as collateral to a line of credit with a bank wow. and then just started, I was the sales, pro- I mean, I was the president, but also this is, you know, we only had two employees. So I was the president, CEO and, and salesperson. And, Again, starting from scratch, building customers. We had again a really lucky run, or uh, with that business. We uh, um, by 2018, I think we had over 500 employees in offices in eight different cities in the uh, Midwest and the Southeast, and our revenues were right. In 2018, our our top line sales was about 80 million in revenue. Um, and we had, that's a lot, I don't know if, how much you guys want to get into this, but we had a lot of other good things going for us. So when we decided to stick our toe in the water to, um, see about pot- potential, um, acquisitions, either a strategic buyer or a private equity firm, we got a lot of offers. We had a lot of companies that were very interested in us. And, um, in 2000, in August 1st of 2018, we closed, we sold Cardinal to, uh, a publicly traded uh, technology for firm called in- Insight Enterprises that are based in, fin- in Phoenix. Hmm. And that was good. So we got a really good price. We sold for uh, $80 million, which is one times revenue, which in our business is, is a really good multiple. Um, and then through once we finished all the post-merger integration work that I had committed to help them with, they we were on really good terms. I probably could have stayed in some capacity, but I decided to leave. So, That's... and then I got then I got hooked up with with Brad Werner at um, um, CU um, Business School, and then that's how I met that's how I met Zan and several other of your peers. Yeah, that yeah. that that's really amazing. That's really um, 
to, to back up a little bit, you talked about transitioning from uh, being a coder to kind of being in sales. And I was wondering if you could talk about that transition and how you kind of changed your skill sets and learned to be able to be a salesman rather than just an employee. Yeah, that's it. It's a very uh, interesting, whatever, part of my part of my life. I think I was really good at – one of the things that drew, drew, drew me into technology and computer science is I always like so – math was always my best subject in school. And I always liked solving problems. You know, there was some um, satisfaction of – figuring something out and making it work. And I think I was a pretty good developer, but I also felt like I was way more um, socially oriented. I got, I, I wanted to be around people and talk and, and, you know, it, much more so, p- personal interaction. A lot of times when you're, when you're develop when you're on a software development team, you, you have, might have meetings during the week and side conversations with some of your coworkers, but, you're really staring at a screen and crank, cranking out code all day long. And I think my, I started to feel like my ambitions and my strengths led more towards the commercial business aspect of IT. So um, I that little step I made at Digital Equipment Corporation kind of got me started in being more on the commercial side. And then I felt like I, when we started Integrated Systems, at first, I was a little apprehensive as to whether or not I'm going to be a good salesperson or not. And then I've told this story like a hundred times. <laughs> I think around the maybe the first three months, I would literally walk up to my car after I met with a client and throw my briefcase in the back seat and you know curse you know curse myself and say I suck. That was the worst sales call in the history of fucking sales calls. <laughs> and um, and then eventually. I uh, was like, oh, I get back to my car and be like, oh, that wasn't so bad. And then maybe about five or six months into it, I'm like, I am really good at this, and and I just love doing it. I love the the um, the chase and the hunt and the having to think on your feet and um, never know never knowing kind of which direction a customer like a sales call was going to go, and just the fact that. Uh, when you're in sales, you're dead. When you're on a software development team working on a project, you're usually just working on that project for six months or whatever. Just that's you're eating, living, sleeping, dreaming. Just that piece of software you're trying to build. In sales, your day is three or four hundred little minutes of things that you're that you know phone calls, meetings. Um, trying to set up meetings and just all those those balls that you're trying to juggle in the air really quick to get um, to keep your sales pipeline going. That just is really uh, um, that fit my personality to a T. And I've I've said this many times. I think that uh, after my first year in sales, I was pretty sure that God put me on earth to be in sales. I was like, this is what. If there's anything that I was born to do this was it was the sales yep that's, that's that's interesting to hear about do you think that um do you think that sales was something that you were at the beginning was something that you really locked into so because you talked about your different companies you worked for and you're saying how you know you have this period of time where there's this learning curve yep was it the next time when you started your your second business was that learning curve a lot shorter 
Well, by the time I started Cardinal, like after I sold uh, integrated systems or sold my share in integrated systems, I think I had a sales team of maybe six people that were reporting to me. So I was already kind of a, you know, I was the VP of sales and sort of the manager of the sales process. And so I would only just, I would not only manage salespeople, but I would manage the big deals, the big client deals that we were, that we had in the pipeline or the big client problems that we had in the pipeline. Um, and then by the time we started uh, Cardinal Solutions in Cincinnati, I knew I could sell. I mean, I was like, I can, there was no, no, there was no uh, concern or there's no more concern left in my ability to do that. It was just, um, so it made it a lot easier the second time because there wasn't there wasn't so much uncertainty about my own ability. It was just building a business from scratch has its own a lot of stressful things, but that wasn't this time that wasn't one of them. Right. Do you have tips or anything that kind of comes to your mind when it, when you think about how you kind of figured out success when it came to sales? Huh. <sighs> Oh, that's a really good question. Um, a couple of things, a couple of just off the top of my head. Um, I think, and I didn't, at first in my early part of my life, I didn't realize this. When I was first building a sales team in Philadelphia, I always thought that successful, a really good, successful, high-tech sales person had to be as much like me as possible. You know, not because I, well, maybe I was ego an egotist, but I figured like that's, I was really good at it. So I need to find people who have the exact same personality and makeup and what, you know, whatever. And, um, that's not exactly true. There's a lot, there's a lot of different types of personalities that, um, that can make a, that can make a real successful salesperson. Um, I think that the, all you need to you have to have uh, an ability to think on your feet, to understand the, the technology and the product space that you're working in. And you have to, I think, come across to a customer as a, someone who's sincere and smart and has their best interests at heart. If you can do that, you can be a, a, a successful salesperson. You don't have to be the the funniest guy at the party or the, or the most dynamic takeover room personality. If you can just create what I just said, that impression in customers minds, you can be really successful in sales. And, um, also you have to have a belly for it. Some people have, you know, I think the, the abilities that I just mentioned, but it's not for everybody. I think some, I've had a handful of people who I've kind of, uh, trained or tried to transition into sales and so, so, sort of from my background, you know, you come from the technology or the product or the operations side of the business and you try to move over into sales. And um, it's not that they're not good at it. They just don't have a, it just doesn't feel right to them. You know, it's like they're, they're not comfortable with it. So you also have to have sort of a, and I don't think you can find that out about yourself Daniel or Zan, I don't think you can find that out until you try it. Mm. I mean, you can talk to as many people as you want until you're responsible for a quota and a pipeline and customers and developing new customers and developing a pipeline. 
I don't think you can find out like, hey, this is something I really love doing. Yeah. I mean, I've always believed that a big part of sales is actually believing in what you do. It doesn't mean that you have to be diehard into the product, but at least knowing that what you're selling is something that you find of value. Um, when you decided to start Cardinal Solutions, how did you know that this idea was something that was a decent market to get into and something that you actually believed in and something that you, you wanted to get a part of? Like, how'd you judge that? Well, that's, that's a good question. You're, um, I've had some experience with some of you know, your peers, people at your age in the, in the business school and even in the MBA program. I think uh, um, the, the advantage to me was that I, had, I got time to go through um, technology sort of evolution at GE and then at Digital Equipment Corporation. And so I got not only time to figure out, I had some time to figure out what I, was, what I wanted to do and also what I was good at. I think that uh, it's uh, interesting for me that you got that a lot of you guys are thinking about starting a business maybe right out of school, and uh, that's that's very um, um, brave and adventurous because you're you know you're like when I started uh, when we started Integrated Systems I was twenty eight and a half years old so I had. You know, I had a little more experience about what I like to do and what I didn't like to do. I had a little bit more knowledge, um, so it was. A, I think it was a little bit easier, if that makes sense. Yeah. And to try to start a business from scratch right from now, that, um, um, I think that that's amazing that 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 you guys, the people like you, can do that. Um, um, I just at the time, right when I first got out, of the, when I first started working, I wasn't sure where my career was going to go. For all I knew, I was going to be, uh, I mean, at the beginning, I just thought I was going to climb the corporate ladder at GE, you know, try to be whatever. Yeah. Work way up the corporate ladder. So, here, hold up here. So when, uh, when you're working for, um, when you're working for Cardinal Solutions and kind of at the peak of running this company, yeah. I'm interested to hear about what your lifestyle was like. What was the what was your day to day, and what did you spend most of your time doing um, when you're in that position? Well, that's a good question. Now, it so we started Integrated Systems in 1996. We sold it in, in 2018. So that's what 22 years. So my my role at Cardinal changed very differently based on the size of the business, like what I, what I needed to do. And that's, I think that's true of every, whether, even if you're not starting your own business, if you're, if you're growing your career with inside of a business, you know, a small or medium or large company, I think the, the, the further you get in your career progression, each step along the way, you start, I mean, you use a lot of the foundation that got you to the, place you're in but the next step there's new things that you haven't you're not sure you're good at yet so along the way you're going to find that the stuff that all the things that made you really good at um, doing A, B, and C are a little different now that you're doing D, E, and F because you're up you're elevating your game so I mean toward the end the last I don't know 
mean, more and more, maybe even the last half of the, I got less and less involved with the, the sales and new, and the business development aspects of Cardinal than just sort of, sort of managing managers, managing leaders and, and managing, uh, I would still get involved with a big client opportunities or particularly big client problems. Um, but there's a lot of, uh, I don't know, what do you say, mentoring or coaching that goes into managing the, the sales team, like all the sales, the directors of sales, and then later the VP. We had two VP of sales. They reported to me. The operations, the finance team reported up into me. The, and then even the, the delivery side of the business, even though we had uh, – my partner Mike York was running that side of the business, and then our CTO Brandon also helped out with that. Um, you know, whatever issues or 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 should we do this? Or, or if we're at a fork in the road about uh, you know about a person or about a vendor alliance or whatever, I'd have to get involved in that. And then later, like toward the end, we were doing a lot of work with. Uh, we were very lucky to really hit the cloud. Uh, um, the advanced cloud um, solutions space ahead of a lot of our competitors, or, or almost everybody. So, and we were doing a lot of work with Microsoft Cloud. So, a lot of my time had to do with the the relationship and cultivating relationships and all the all the little the dance that you have to do with with a very very large software company like Microsoft. Yeah. So not. I guess I don't know if I'm answering your question, but it it was kind of a strange arc because you know at the beginning of both integrated systems and Cardinal Solutions, I think the whole um, my whole contribution was just getting that sales momentum going and getting to a um, um, sort of a tipping point of profitability and revenue, and then being able to hire and build into that into that organization. And then toward the end, the very end, it became more of a, I don't know what I want to say, more of an enterprise coach and enterprise leadership, you know, hmm. I wasn't really using any, hardly any of my sales. Yeah, but you, you, you were able to build the business to that point and actually create a product that found a solution and, and a need as well. Um, in the, the summer of 2018, you were acquired by Insight Enterprises. And, you know, after you got the product ready and the business ready, were were you ready to basically sell the company at that point? Or was it bittersweet? Kind of how was that transition for you? Uh, it, was kind of, it was kind of bittersweet because, uh, well, what happened was we, we had a really good investment banker. I don't know if you or your your listeners really know what invest, investment bankers do. But effectively, an investment banker is sort of like your real estate agent, like if you want to sell your house. So the investment banker, their job is to, and you sign a sort of an agreement, a partnership with them to help sell your business. Mm -hmm. So their job is to take your business to market and um, sort of quarterback the whole you know, evaluation and go to market for your business. And we had a really good firm. Anyway, when we first started talking to them, they're like, um, they gave us some idea about the value range that we would probably get. But they, they also said, you're probably going to get the most um, 
value, the most money on the most interest from private equity companies. So a private equity company, what they're going to want to do is invest cash into the company, you know, not, not buy the whole thing, yeah. but you know, buy, I don't know, like 40, 45 or 50% of the company. Uh-huh. And they just want to be on the board. And then they want you and your current leadership team to run the business as fast as you can. So the, you can, um, hockey or you can accelerate the growth of the, use some of that cash, you know, to put in your pocket like me, you know, like, you know, the equity, the people you're taking a little off the table, but you're also keeping a lot of that money in the, in the business to grow it quicker so that five or six years down the road, they can sell at a higher, much higher value than they just, um, gave you. Yeah. Now, so the private, the reason I'm telling you this is uh, the investment bankers were like, oh, you're going to private equity is going to be the way to go. You know, that's going to be the way to go. So under that scenario, I would have still been at, if that would have happened, I would have still been at Cardinal. You know, they wouldn't have changed the name of the business. They wouldn't have changed anything about what we're doing. They would have just said, go grow as fast as you can. Yeah. And so a part of the deal would be me staying. So I, for a long time through the process, I was thinking, oh, that I'm going to have to stay for whatever, five or six more years. And then when we got to the very end, there was still a lot of, there were a lot of private equity companies interested in us, but there was also these strategic buyers, very big public companies that wanted to fold us into something they were already doing. Okay. So Insight was one of those companies. They had a uh, medium, well, they had a small division. They're a $7 billion company. They had like a, I don't know, maybe like a $40 million digital innovation group. Mm. So tiny compared to the, bigger thing but they wanted to build that digital innovation group so they were going to buy us to so they could to try to create a um critical mass yeah and um you know that they didn't they don't they didn't really need they already had someone running that division so they didn't need me to run it but it turned out it'd be a really good fit um um, culture wise we like the 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 people there really you know, they gave us a really generous offer. And so really up until, I don't know, a month before we sold, I wasn't sure what, if we were going to sell to a private equity company or we were going to sell to a strategic buyer. Mm. It just kind of turned out that way. Wow. Interesting. So, Kelly, I was wondering if you could maybe go into a little bit of detail about what kind of IT solutions Cardinal um, really worked with and what maybe to somebody who doesn't necessarily know a lot about the space what that would look like um in terms of you know the work you guys were doing okay so we um were a digital innovation company so what we would do primarily for fortune 1000 companies in a variety of industries we would um we would sort of be experts at building very innovative cloud mobile data or web solutions. So companies can either try to, if they have an idea for some new product or an extension or an extension of a product or some new system they want to use to manage their business or some new mobile app they want to give to their customers, whatever, they can either try to do it themselves and build it internally, which a lot of you know some company a lot of companies do, or they could go to a firm like Cardinal to do it. So like a couple of the 
things that we would do um, that you guys might, the audience might be um, easily understood is like, uh, for example, there was a big um, bank in the Midwest and, I don't know, three or four years ago, they were getting hammered because their mobile banking platform was crappy. You know, all the reviews um, about it were horrible. Customers were complaining about it. So they um, asked us to come in and design and build their whole, a brand new mobile banking application that they could, you know, put up in the app store and whatever, and customers could and replace their old crappy one. So that's what they did. That we go in and meet with all their uh, consumer banking people and help design and build a uh, brand new mobile banking um, application, and then they own it. They pay us for that, and then they own it. Now, some and then sometimes a customer will take over the the evolution and the new releases of a product like that, and then sometimes they'll just keep coming back to us and say, "Okay, we want to, we want a new. Here's a new feature set we want to incorporate." You know, in the June first release, and then we got into heavily into the cloud stuff. So, like, uh, um, um, I'm not. Um, so there was a company, a big company, a big uh, sort of multi-faceted uh, corporation that was in um, the market leader in uh, police body camera equipment and um, patrol car video equipment, and so we built a cloud-based way for all the video that was captured by patrolmen and patrol cars to go up at the end of every shift, be uploaded into the cloud, and then also all that data has got a bunch of metadata associated with it. You know, for, you know, one, uh, the Houston, Texas Police Department can't see what the Atlanta, Georgia Police Department, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. there's, there's all these rules and, and data access things and action stuff. But anyway, it's a big, it ends up being a big cloud solution that this company, it was like the next generation of their body armor and their patrol car solution. So they could go to police um, districts or whatever and say, well, we not only sell the hardware, but we sell the thing that you're going to manage. Like if you ever want to look back, um, you know, three months ago and see what, Patrolman Bennett did on that January third traffic stop at 10 p.m. You you can get in there and see what Patrolman Bennett did in those five minutes when he pulled over that person, or wow. if the, or if the district attorney wanted to see what you know if they're prosecuting a case or whatever. It was the whole um, um, storage and consumption and access to this huge uh, growing bank of. Um, Police uh, video. Wow. So that was something. That's an example of something that Cardinal did. Very cool. Yeah, that's super interesting. I mean, uh, being able to find those solutions through the data, <clears throat> especially if it was a few years ago before it was such a movement on this data. Like they say, data is the new oil. Basically, you know, that's where money is coming from nowadays. Um, how did you kind of find these market potentials? Was it uh, customers coming to you guys and asking if you could do the product, or were you looking at the market and kind of saying, we can help you fix things? Well, that's a really, really, really good question. <laughs> I, I'd like to say that whatever, that I was whatever super smart or whatever. Actually, the way it happened for us was predominantly, when the cloud first started coming around, guys can remember um, barely cloud first started coming around the uh, 
what people were doing, you know, in Amazon Web Services or the Google Cloud or even the Microsoft Cloud early on, what customers were basically, all they were, were, were trying to do was lift and shift something from their own data center and put it in the cloud. So they didn't have to manage all that servers in their data center. They didn't have to worry about, you know, if, this, they, if the servers were up or not, if the thing was backed up or not. Mm -hmm. was, right, all the sort of the keep the lights on uh, approach to running existing software that either was a package, you know, like uh, SAP or PeopleSoft or whatever, or something custom. They would just take it out of their data center and put it up in the cloud. And then, of course, Amazon or whoever would just charge them, you know, for usage. Yeah. For hosting it. All they were doing was hosting. And we were thinking about, you know, should we get into that business or not? And at the time, we were a custom solution company. So all we were doing back then was building web, custom web solutions, you know, for um, Fortune 1000 companies to run on their intranet or run on the internet. And then, well, of course, we were dabbling in, in mobile smartphone apps too. Mm -hmm. But we weren't really interested in those companies that do lift and shift and then monitor, uh, manage services, you know, host services. We weren't really into that. So we sort of, um, we weren't part of the, the early stage of cloud uh, companies. Yeah. Then, luckily for us, the next stage of, of cloud computing um, where customers were trying to build advanced cloud solutions that took advantage of the cloud. And without getting too, really, I'm probably getting too technical already, but when you, when you lift and shift something in the cloud, you have to um, sort of carve out like how big of a server do I need? How much data do I need? And then you they build that space for you, Amazon or Microsoft or whatever, and then you own it. You still have to, you put your stuff in there just like you would put it in a server in your data center. And you always pay for that same foot, footprint. Mm -hmm. whether, whether, whether during the summer you have a seasonal business in the summer your uses is way down, in Christmas, you're, you know what I mean? You're paying for the size of that virtual box. As cloud computing evolved a little bit more, there were a lot, the the big cloud vendors had a way of um, creating. Uh, you could create virtual. You could put virtual solutions in a space that took advantage of their cloud that would expand and contract based on usage. So if you only used your, um, I don't know, order taking your order management system. Um, eight hours a day because you're an East Coast company, you, during the evening, and you know what I mean, your, your price that you were paying the cloud, it would shrink because you would, your box wasn't, didn't always have to be at the maximum size of usage. Yep. It could scale. It could adapt to, and even if uh, you had a business where during Christmas, from, New, from Thanksgiving to Christmas, your demand was 10 times higher than during the year, it would just automatically it would automatically take care of that and process all those orders. And so the people who know how to do that are more in line with the skills of Cardinal, how to write complicated um, software that takes advantage of these 
scalable features within the platform. So that was sort of a game changer for us. And also, um, Microsoft was very interested in, they were behind the, Microsoft was way behind the game in, Looks like, uh, Kelly, you froze there. You getting that same, Daniel? Yeah, I'm getting it. Oh, uh, I think we lost him. Oh, no. Um, all right, well, uh... We will be right back after this short commercial break. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will keep recording for a moment. Yeah, and we can edit it after I just said what I said. We can edit this part out and then recombine it with him. Sounds good. I'm calling him. Okay. I better. His power went out earlier, so probably. Oh, that'd be rough. My, my, my power went out. Now, my, my power went out, but it only went out for like uh, five seconds. But I guess it was long enough to knock out my Wi-Fi. No worries, Daniel. Can you hear him? Right yeah, now? yeah. Um, well, we were gonna wrap it up anyways, so maybe we can just do it oh. over the phone here. Okay. Um, we did have a couple quick questions for you. One of which was, um, I'm curious to know if there's anything that comes to mind when I ask you if you could go back in time and tell yourself um, something at the beginning of your career, is there something that you wish you had known that you do know now? Um, that's a good question. Okay, two things. One I kind of already mentioned is uh, I think I was uh, in my early stage of my career, I was kind of narrow-minded about what kind of people can do what kind of a job and I think I learned the hard way that there are you don't have, you don't have to be a, take a cookie cutter approach to, to building your leadership team um, you need to be creative in finding people that are you know can actually do you know do a good job they don't have to fit a certain mold um, the other thing would probably be probably way too stressed out at the beginning you know in my 30s my yeah my early 30s and most of my 30s I was way too stressed out I was probably if I could tell I, you know if I could tell my old self I would have been like you gotta just pump, pump the brakes a little bit and not be so you know I, you know and it, and it's, it trickled over and in, into my my family life, you know, I was probably, a, that was probably my worst um, years as a, as a husband and uh, a father because I was so wrapped up in the business and I would, it, it would affect my personality when I was at home. That makes sense. Yeah, that's, like it's really tough to be able to balance that uh, that work life when you're trying to be successful and also have a family and grow and be there and all those things are super difficult. Yeah, yeah. One one other thing I was going to add to that, what I just said was, and the, the thing I would tell my old self is, it doesn't being all stressed out at home at night or whatever it doesn't help you. It doesn't. It's not giving you any kind of advantage during the day. <laughs> Yeah, I, I truly love that perspective on not worrying when it doesn't provide any good. Um, 
as we as we wrap it up, I would love to be able to hear, do you have any like books or podcasts or things that have really affected the way you do business and shape the way you uh, you handle business? Someone who's 
started, um, you know, venture capital based businesses. There'd be different people that I would recommend depending on what kind of conversation you wanted to have. Absolutely. Is is there anyone that um, that you might say is someone in particular you would think would be great for a fit um, based on kind of how this interview went? Um. Yeah, I know a couple of people. I definitely do. Great. Well, well, we'll definitely follow up with you on that. Hey, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time to do this with us. And you know, maybe maybe we can find time to uh, do, record another podcast. Um, for all those who are listening right now, I, I hope you're staying safe with the quarantine. And um, you know, we're all in this together. So I, I want to extend my thanks to you, you Kelly, and uh, also just. Let everyone know that um, we really appreciate you tuning in and uh, listening to all of us talk about this. Yeah, great. Thanks, uh, Dan and Daniel. Thanks for having me on. I had a good time. Thank you, Kelly. Appreciate it. We would love it. All right. Well, thank you so much. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Network Effects. If you want to check out more about today's guests or other exclusive content, go to thenetworkeffects.com. There you can follow all of our social medias and sign up for our mailing list.